Morning, everybody. I am a uh, procrastinator. Um, I don't get around to stuff, especially if it involves big life changes or any kind of confrontation, and uh, it just takes me a while to get around to it. But I remember that when I was uh, when I was a um, a kid in high school. I was a church kid. I didn't know the Lord, but I was a church kid. You know, that's possible. You're raised in church. You're in church every week from nine months uh, before you were born for the rest of your life. And somehow you never get it. Somehow the gospel and the, the good news of Jesus Christ never comes through. And so I met, a, I met this family that just happened to live right around the corner from me. Just happened. And I got involved in that family. I, I, you know, they had kids that were about my age, and the mom and dad were crazy and cool, and they had these bumper stickers all over the backs of their, uh, of their car because they had just gotten all turned on at this big thing called Explo 71, which was like the the big celebration of the Jesus movement revival that was happening back then. And they were so excited and they were so turned on and they just couldn't wait to tell everybody what they had experienced in Jesus Christ. And I was one of their, you know, their adopted kids at that time. So I, you know, so I just started hanging out with them. They opened up their home to me and they invited me to church, to their church. Now their church was a Presbyterian church. And I thought, huh, what's the Presbyterian? And uh, I heard preaching at that church like I never heard anywhere before in my life. Because what I heard was the gospel of Jesus Christ. They told me about what Jesus did. They told me about the Father's love. They told me about the blood that Christ Jesus shed for my sins. And they told me about how I could be free by receiving what Jesus Christ had done for me. And I listened, and I listened, and I listened, and my buddy said to me, the, the kid in the family who was about my age, he said, you know, Bob, or Bobby back then, he said, you can't just keep listening to this stuff and not doing anything about it. And that's what our sermon about is about today. You can't just keep listening to this stuff and not doing anything about it. God's word calls for a response. So let's pray and ask the Lord to help us. Lord, I thank you so much for the things that we just sang about. Repentance. Prayers. That you would mold us and that you would shape us. That you would make us as you are the potter and we are the clay. Have your own way. Lord, I pray that you would do that molding work in us today as we listen to the Word of God and help us to respond. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been going through the book of Acts. We've been studying the beginning of the church as we know it. And it's, a, it's such a beautiful story, the way God kind of jump-started his church this, and, uh, and so the original situation is this. We'll read the Bible in just a minute. But you can be turning to Acts chapter 2 in your Bibles. The original situation is something like this. 
about 50 days after Passover. Thousands of people are gathered in Jerusalem. People who were born Jewish and people who got on, the, on, uh, on board with Judaism and assimilated to become uh, followers, you know, God-fearers. So there's this big gathering in Jerusalem, 50 days after Passover. And this happens every year, but this particular year was 50 days after Jesus Christ, the ultimate Passover lamb, was sacrificed for his people and rose again from the dead. And so he promised... Jesus promised that he would send the Holy Spirit. And then the Holy Spirit came and created what we now know as the church. And the people, when this happened, there was that mighty rushing wind, remember? And that people began to praise God and glorify God. And and, and people from all around could hear their own language. Uh, they, They could hear the praises of God expressed in their own dialect, in their own languages. And that these these 120 people in this little church that was getting started, they didn't learn those languages. God gave them the gift of languages. And so this Tower of Babel in reverse that Pastor Tim told us about a couple of weeks ago was happening, and people were hearing all of this. And Peter says, okay, it's time to make a statement. Now, I'll bet that there were at least 10 men who thought, uh oh. Because <laughs> when Peter opens his mouth, sometimes it's a disaster. Peter says, You know, I- I'm going to speak into this situation. So he stands up, and there are thousands of people in a walled city of Jerusalem. They're here for a Jewish conference, for a Jewish ceremony, a religious thing. There, there are thousands of religious people. And Peter stands up and he says, some of you think the people are drunk. Some of, you, some of you think that our little church has gotten drunk. That's a stupid idea because nobody gets drunk at 9 o'clock in the morning. Good start for a sermon, eh? And then he tells all these people that what you are seeing is the beginning of the last day. That you're seeing Old Testament prophecy performed before your very eyes. You're hearing about it. You're seeing it. You're feeling it. The Holy Spirit, long promised, has come. Just like Joel said he would. And that this is all about the king, whose name is Jesus, whom you killed, but God raised up from the dead... And exalted him to the highest place and gave him the throne of our father David. And so now he is king over all of God's people. You killed the wrong man. And somehow God was in control of all of that. And that is the reason why you are seeing and hearing all of these wonders. He is king and Lord and Messiah. Now, let's pick up. At the end of that sermon, 
Let me just, um, you know, I kind of want to dip back into the sermon just a little bit because it's such a beautiful thing. Uh, Okay, let's go back to 29, verse 29 of Acts chapter 2. This is where he starts to bring it on home and he wraps it up. He says, brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he died and was buried and his tomb is here with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of all that we are witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words... He bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received the word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Not a bad day in the life of the church. The response to Peter's message about the Holy Spirit coming and about Jesus Christ, whom, you know, they, in their sin, in their mob mentality, crucified, whom God had raised up and exalted and made king over all his people, resulted in an interrupted sermon. The people were... We're we're kind of crowding in on Peter and going, wait, what are we going to do? What shall we do? We're busted. What are we supposed to do? It says that when they were cut to the heart, they used a Greek word that Homer, not Homer Simpson, the Homer that wrote about Ulysses and the, you know, the Odyssey and the Sirens, all that, you know, Brother, where art thou? All that. Homer. Homer used that same word, cut to the heart. He used that same Greek word to refer to horses making dents in the ground. Only instead of the ground, it was their hearts that were being dented up. The impact of horses' hooves on their hearts. So he's saying, we are cut to the heart. What should we do? Right in the center of who they are, 
I mean, it, this, is, this is not an academic question. They're not confused. Uh, could, could you please just explain a little bit more about the details, Peter? No, they were not confused in their minds. They're not frustrated over some nasty habit. They weren't going to Peter and saying, how can we make life work better? These folks were desperate. What now? We crossed a line. We're bankrupt. We're guilty. We're grieving. We're desperate. We're busted. And this is not the sound of a sleepy church service. This is not the sound of religion. This is not the sound of business as usual. This is the sound of people in agony, in terror, in shock, in awe. This message about Jesus crucified and risen and exalted and crowned as king has turned their worlds upside down, and this is God getting them out of denial and making them aware of their sin and misery, which God in his grace does for everyone whom he brings to himself. There was no leaving that meeting without doing business with God. Has this ever happened to you? Have you ever been pierced to the heart like a, like a, a horse making dents uh, in the ground, only it's happening to you? Enough to interrupt a sermon with a desperate question? Has the story of Jesus ever had that effect on you? Have you ever felt the presence of God so powerfully that you have to meet with him and you've got to get it right with him right now, right here, and you're not going to get home until you're right with God? And you got nothing. You got no answers. You got no righteousness. You got nowhere to turn. You got nothing to lean on. You're bankrupt, desperate, out of resources. All you can hope for is mercy. Lord, have mercy on me, like we just sang. And and, and listen to it. All this is because of a sermon? I mean, this is not Peter being clever and nifty. There's no cool technology. There's no seminary degree. There's no hot music. There's no strobe lights. There's no smoke machine. It was an uneducated fisherman who had been nothing but awkward and goofy until this moment. And he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And he happened to quote a lot of scripture and talked about the death and resurrection and exaltation of Jesus. And now thousands of people are demolished by this message. Because the Bible says, the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. For it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. The story of Jesus is powerful. So the question comes up, what if I'm never busted? What if I never feel busted? What if I am coming to church every week and nothing goes on inside of me? You know, my body's there, sitting in the pew. I stand up and sing, sit down, listen to a sermon, business as usual. I go home and I eat and forget all about it and do it again next week. What if, what if I'm never busted? If the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ never gets to you on the inside, 
If you never feel busted and you never feel exposed and you, have, and, and you never feel like you have nowhere to turn when the message of Jesus Christ comes to you, check yourself. It's easy to get numb, like Scott was saying last, uh, last time. It's easy to get numb to the preaching that you hear all the time. You hear it all the time and you get used to tuning it out. And you know what? The Bible has a category for that. It's called the hardening of the heart. Hebrews 3 Uh, The writer of the Hebrews is pastorally speaking to the people that he's writing to, and he's saying, today, if you hear God's voice, do not harden your hearts, or you are going to miss everything. And this hardening of the heart, there's a history of the human heart in the Bible. It starts out with, uh, with Adam and Eve being created not neutral, but good and godly. Love their God. They walked with God in the cool of the day. They were holy people, and they were happy people until they sinned. And when they sin, their hearts become hard. And people are dealing with this hard heart until God's grace, in God's grace, he takes out the hard heart and he puts in a heart of flesh, says Ezekiel chapter 36. And so when you are born again, you are given a new heart. A new heart. Okay, we're not talking about the thing that pumps blood. You know that, right? We're talking about what the Bible calls the heart, which is the center of who you are. It's who you are when nobody's looking. It's who you really are. That's the heart. It's you're like, who really is Bob Haynes? It's my heart. That's what we're talking about. And so it starts out, our, our heart started out good and holy, responsive to God, then Adam and Eve sinned. Then we have this problem of a stony heart. This heart is made of stone. And then in the new covenant, in God's grace, he takes out the heart of stone and he puts in a heart that says yes to God. It's responsive to God. But then there's one other thing that happens that we see in the book of Hebrews. That new heart can get a little crusty if you're not maintaining it. You know what I'm saying? It's like a, it's, a, it's a new good heart. You've been given a good heart. Those of you who are saved, those of you who know Jesus Christ, you've been given a new heart. But that heart can get a little crusted over to where religion and the word of God, it becomes business as usual. And, and, you, and you become hardened to the reality of the very thing that can save your life and connect you with the one that you need to be connected with the most. And so, it's a dangerous place to be in a church like this where you hear the gospel every week and you get used to it. It's a dangerous place to be if your heart is hard. So what can be done for a hardened heart? Can anything be done? Do you cross a line and it just gets hardened and that's that? You know what? In the Bible, sin never has the last word. And so... (laughs) I, for one, am very thankful for that. What can be done for a hard heart? You just go to God about it. You go, Psalm 139 is a good place to start. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me to the everlasting way. Pray that prayer before God. Ask him to soften your heart. Tell Jesus you're numb and that you can't change your own heart. Ask for the Spirit of God to do His work in tilling the soil of your heart and watering the seed that was planted and taking that parking lot and 
and, 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 you know, drilling out the concrete, getting down to the dirt, and aerating the soil and whatever it is that you gardeners do to make things grow and cause the, the, the grace of God once again to grow and to bear fruit in that place that was once so hard. God will do that for you. Ask him. And there's another thing that Hebrews 3 says, very practical. Encourage one another daily so that you will not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Take care, brothers, says Hebrews 3, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So some of y'all need to change, see you next week, to see you tomorrow. We need each other. Brothers, sisters, we need each other. To encourage one another so that we will not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So what now? What are we supposed to do? Here they've heard this message about Jesus Christ, crucified, dead, buried, risen again, ascended, crowned. What are we supposed to do? Verse 38. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent. Repent means changing your mind, and it means turning away from your old life. You're walking in one direction, and you turn 180 degrees, and you walk the opposite direction. That's what repentance is. And this is the way Paul, Apostle Paul put it when he's talking to the, the Thessalonian church, and he says, I've heard how you turned, from, uh, turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. That's a good picture of repentance. You're forsaking your idols and you're embracing the Lord. And so repentance is a command, repent. But it's also a gift of God. Because it says in Acts chapter 11 that God had given the Gentiles repentance unto life. It's a command and it's a gift. Just like faith. Faith, you know, uh, what must I do to be saved? said the jailer in Acts chapter 16. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Imperative, believe. But then you look at Ephesians chapter 2 and it says, this faith is not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. So which is it? Is it a command or is it a gift? Yes. Because what God commands, God gives. When God says repent, when God says believe, God gives you repentance and God gives you faith. He is a gracious God. So, the difference between repentance and faith. Faith is putting your whole weight on Jesus and trusting him alone with no backup plan. Repentance is leaving your old life and continually leaving your sin behind. Faith and repentance are like two sides of the same coin. There's no real faith without repentance. There's no real repentance without faith. And Jesus said it would be this way. He said, 
to his disciples after he was risen from the dead. He said, thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem and you are witnesses of these things. Is there anything that you have put on the back burner? Are you procrastinating like I procrastinate? Is there anything that you've been putting on the back burner? And it's been on there forever. Some broken relationship. Some refusal to love. A sin pattern in your life that nobody but you and God knows about. A refusal to forgive. Coldness toward God. Independence from God. I mean, ever since we could think we were rewriting the Declaration of Independence from God. That's the way we've been living our lives. Until God comes to us in grace and reestablishes dependence on him. Acts 3.19, repent and turn to God that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. And I can promise you that as you repent, times of refreshing will come from the Lord. Dan Allender wrote a book, and he wrote, entitled one of the chapters, Repentance, the Unlikely Road to Healing. And it really is. Verse 38 again, and then he says, Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. Baptize, baptism, you know, it's when we put water on somebody, uh, or else we dip somebody in water. Baptism symbolizes the work of the Holy Spirit washing you clean of all your sin and corruption. Baptism is called a sign and a seal of God's promise to you. Like my wedding ring is a sign, you can see it, and it's also a seal. It's just, you know, it's, it's just part of my commitment to love my wife for the rest of my life. And so baptism is like my wedding ring. I am a baptized person. I have the sign... I want his, and I got the seal. His promises are going to be true for me. And it's also going public about belonging to Jesus. When you get baptized, you identify with Jesus and his death and his burial and his resurrection, and you're saying to the world, this is my wedding ring. I'm part of the bride. I'm part of the bride of Christ. And in some cultures, baptism means the death of relationships, in some cultures, sometimes it means the death of you. It can be your death sentence. If you were a Jew at this point, at this time that we're talking about now, and you were listening to Peter on that day, and you got baptized, you know what you would be saying? You would be saying, one, I'm just as messed up as a Gentile. I need God to cleanse me from my sin. I'm signing on with Jesus and I'm becoming his follower no matter what my family says, no matter what my synagogue says, and no matter what my friends say to me. No matter how many people unfriend me. My baptism is my identification publicly with Jesus Christ. Maybe you never counted that cost. Maybe you've never been baptized in the name of Jesus. Maybe you have yet to move into your baptism. Some of you are baptized, but you're not saved. That was me. I was raised in a church. When I was nine years old, I walked the aisle, told the preacher I wanted to be a Christian. He said, cool. And then he baptized me when I was nine years old. When I was 18 years old, I met Jesus. I moved into my baptism. 
I was infant baptized by the Southern Baptists at age nine. How many of y'all can say that? Some of you were baptized because your parents brought you to church and your parents dedicated you unreservedly to God and say, I want my child baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And some of you, you were baptized when you were little, but you have yet to move into your baptism. And for you, I say, repent. (laughs) Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Trust in His death so that you don't have to die. Trust in His resurrection so that you will rise again. Trust in Him to take care of you for the rest of your life and to get you into His presence for eternity. To be part of the new heavens and the new earth and His church now. Be part of the kingdom. It's a great place to be, to be part of the kingdom. Trust in Jesus Christ. Turn away from the things that you were depending on. Turn away from your sins. Your salvation is not based on how or when you got baptized or how good your repentance is. Baptism is a picture of your sins being washed away from God. God only saves. It says it like this in Titus 3. For we ourselves were foolish and disobedient and led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Other than that, we were fine. But when the goodness and the loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy by the Remember baptism? By the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior so that being justified, that means forgiven and declared righteous, by His grace we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That's the hope I hold out to you. Wherever you are, Whatever your story is. But then there's one more thing. He says if you turn away from your sin, you put your faith in the risen king and you receive the waters of baptism as a sign and a pledge from God that he's going to keep all his promises, you too will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You see, forgiveness is not the end game. The end game is you being connected with God himself. The end game is you receiving God the Holy Spirit. That's the treasure. You get God. Yeah, it's great to be forgiven, but why are you forgiven? So you can be connected with God. It's great to have the righteousness of Jesus credited to your account as if you lived it, but why is that? It's so you get God. It's so you have a relationship with Him. You get God for God. Not for His blessings. You receive the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Hmm. There's so much more I want to say, but I'm running out of time. The promise, says Peter, the promise, the forgiveness of all your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit is for you in the hearing of my voice. You now. You here in the 21st century. The promise is for you. And the promise is also for your kids. Tell your kids about Jesus. Jesus says, let the little children come to me 
and do not hinder them, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. The promise is for your kids. Baptize your kids. The promise is for your kids. And the promise is for those who are far off, those geographically in every nation on earth, and also for those who are far off as being people who are outside, people who are outside of the covenant, the unbelievers, uh, those who, um, uh, those who are, are, are far off in a variety of ways. It's like people who fell off the wagon, people whose hearts have been far away from the Lord, kids who left the faith, for the folks on the streets trying to survive, for the drug pusher and for the harlot, for as many as the Lord our God shall call. The promise is for you. Is he calling you? Is he calling you back from a far country? Is he starting to make those dents in your heart? Are you feeling cut to the heart and asking God, what am I going to do? With many other words, he testified and he exhorted them, save yourselves from the crooked and warped and messed up generation. And I say the same thing to you. Are you still living in a messed up, unbelieving world without the knowledge of God? Are you still trying to get through life like an orphan with no father to walk with you? Are you left with the philosophies of whatever you get from TV and social media to shape your thinking? Are you still hanging on to your sins because they're comfortable? There's one way out of this mess. Repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And let your baptism be your identification with Jesus. And a reminder that all his promises are true. One way out. Come to Jesus. It says in verse 41, Those who received Peter's word gladly were baptized on that same day. 3,000 souls added to Jesus' church. From 120 to 3,120, God started his church off with a bang. I wonder sometimes if it's a little bit like back in Genesis when people lived like hundreds of years and, and they had many sons and daughters and they were populating the globe. And, you know, God's starting off the, 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 the first creation with a bang and now he's starting off the new creation with a bang. Can you imagine, you know, what all happened at that time? 3,000 people saying, okay, I'm ready to get baptized. Okay, we're going to do this all before sundown. Mm, mercy. Uh, you know, I mean, this, this is where my administrative fears come in. You know, oh, I'm so glad I wasn't in charge. But they got it done. They got it done. Three takeaways real quick, and I'm out of your way. One. Have you been baptized? Have you been baptized? You love Jesus and he saved you, and you've never been baptized? Talk to Pastor Tim and the elders about that now. What are you waiting for? Get baptized. Get the sign. Get the seal. Get the identification with Jesus. Don't, don't walk into this world without the sign and seal of your baptism. Two. Let's expect more action. Let's expect more action. We preach the most powerful message in the world. Jesus Christ crucified, buried, risen again, and exalted as king, and coming back as king of kings and lord of lords. We need to expect folks getting busted, including the preacher himself. 
Let's expect more folks getting saved right here at New Life Church. And third, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. He's calling you to repentance and faith, maybe for the first time, placing your faith on Jesus and cutting out your own strategies. Or he's calling you to take the next step of obedience. He's calling you to take the next step of your discipleship, the next step of service, your next step of leadership in the kingdom of God. Maybe something risky that tests your faith and you didn't want to do it. Do not harden your hearts. Say to God, what must I do? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you today. And as we prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper, another sign and seal of your promises of grace in Jesus Christ. We pray that you would just remove the hardness, remove the locks from the doors of our heart, open up the floodgates of our tears, enable us to fall before you and see that the gospel of Jesus Christ and the truth of Jesus Christ and the glory of Jesus Christ and his death for us, his resurrection for us, his lordship over us is the very thing we need more than life itself. I pray that you would teach us more of what it means to arise and follow Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that as we receive the Lord's Supper today, that the believers will rejoice in their heart of hearts for the glorious work that Jesus Christ has done, and that all looking on who have not yet come to faith in Jesus Christ will see in Jesus the greatest treasure of all. And may we receive not just bread and juice, but may we receive Jesus Christ himself by faith. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.